Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Critical race theory says every white person is a racist. Critical race theory says America is fundamentally racist and irredeemably racist. Critical race theory seeks to turn us against each other, and if someone has a different color skin, seeks to make us hate that person. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. That's part of a speech Senator Ted Cruz, notable Texan, gave at a big conservative conference last year. He's just one of the many loud voices who have brought the debate over how history and race are taught in schools to the national stage. What was once happening in small rooms where no one was paying attention is now dominating the news cycle. Critical race theory that the radical leftists are trying to impose on our school children. Critical race theory, or CRT, is a big, abstract, nebulous concept that's taken on a life of its own. Coalitions of parents are now flooding board meetings. Conservative parents don't want critical race theory to be taught in schools. CRT is a poison. It's a poison to the mind. Teachers say they aren't teaching it. It's a graduate-level legal concept. Does the district teach critical race theory? No. Some of them are teaching their students about systemic racism and racial bias throughout history, which they argue is a true, factual telling of our country's story. And if we're saying that Jim Crow laws are in place because they're promoting white supremacy, am I violating the law? We are not here to litigate what is or isn't considered critical race theory. Because the fact is, that doesn't really matter anymore. What does matter is the very real societal and human impacts this debate is having. Sherry Matula, the veteran Texas educator you heard from last episode, is watching this all very closely. If you attack the educators, you're attacking the bedrock of people's trust in education. It really doesn't have to do with the administrators or anything. It has to do with the teachers in the classroom and are they doing what they need to be doing. Sometimes I think that gets lost when we talk about CRT, the insidious nature of it. The fact that it's making more and more parents question their kids' public education and distrust or even vilify teachers. That's not an accident. I asked Sherry who she thought was pushing this plan forward. There's the, what is it, the mother's of liberty, who are who are doing part of the stuff. There's several groups. I can't name them off right now, but they're the ones that are behind it. And as I said, I call I called it on my Twitter, Christo fascism, is what it is. Sherry's just a little off on the name. It's actually Moms for Liberty. In a lot of these conversations I've had for the show, Moms for Liberty kept coming up as one of the big power players in the great CRT debate. So. It felt like high time I got in touch with them. I spoke to their co-founder, Tiffany Justice. She didn't have much interest in small talk 
or going through a tech check or really anything that wasn't explicitly her agenda. Can you um, tell me a little bit about what you did this morning? Yeah, I had a cup of coffee. Nice. I did as well. How do you take your coffee? Black. Tiffany co-founded Moms for Liberty in Florida in January of 2021. They now have 230 chapters in 40 states, obviously including Texas. And to hear Tiffany explain it, the group's goals have a lot of parallels with the Gablers. You can break it down into three categories. First, making parents more aware of how to have their voices heard. Parents are afforded a lot of opportunities to get involved in school districts. And unfortunately, sometimes they aren't aware of those or they don't take advantage of those. Second, assuring parents know what their kids are being taught in school and get involved in the approval process. One of the areas where parents can most directly be involved is in curriculum review and adoption. And third, that everyone's opinion is important and should be heard. We believe that every parent uh, should have their voice heard in their children's education. These are parents that I might agree with about stuff and I might not agree with about stuff. But again, that fundamental right of the parent exists. And so I just want to see more parents get involved and engaged and have conversations with each other about what they believe is appropriate to be taught in school. At face value, that's not all bad. What Tiffany's describing here makes perfect sense. It's completely reasonable for parents to be aware and involved in their kids' education. But just like the Gabler's fight, things get more complicated when it comes down to the specific beliefs Moms for Liberty is advocating for. We were told many, many times by the K-12 cartel that uh, CRT wasn't being taught in schools. In fact, we have found that it is being taught in schools. All of this, the alphabet soup nonsense, is an excuse for educational failure. And the educational failure falls squarely on the shoulders of the people that have been in charge. We need less involvement from the federal government into state education, and we need the K-12 cartel to focus on advocating for teachers as they have and for their jobs and stop pretending that they somehow care whether or not children are learning in school because it's very obvious to us that they do not. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Grace Lynch, and this is Teaching Texas, Episode 5. In this episode, the destabilizing effect that CRT, the latest public education boogeyman, has had on communities, educators, and ultimately, students. In the midst of driving across the state to talk to Neil Fry and Don McElroy, my producer Sarah and I went to Southlake, a suburb outside of Fort Worth that also happens to be the epicenter of the CRT debate. We were there to visit a woman who unwittingly became her community's pariah. Her name is Jennifer Huff. She welcomed us into her home, where we were immediately greeted by a choir of dogs. Hi, I'm Grace. I'm Jennifer. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, nice to meet you. You too. Oh, no, it's fine. We gathered around a high top table in her kitchen and got to know Jen a little better. She's white, Christian, and wasn't all that politically minded before 2016. But she's always been really involved in her community, the booster club, parent-teacher organizations, and delivering meals to the homeless. Jen and her family have been living in Southlake, Texas for 11 years now. It's a wealthy, conservative suburb between Dallas and Fort Worth. Her daughter does theater and choir, 
her son swims and plays water polo. Carroll Independent School District, where her kids go, is often ranked high nationally. The high school's football team makes it to the playoffs basically every year, and I've been told that's a really big deal for Texans. For a long time, Jen thought Southlake was a lovely place to live. Then, in 2018, a video of Southlake students chanting racial slurs leaked, and Jen's perception of the town started to shift. Well, the school board in an upscale DFW suburb is ready to take on the touchy issue of racism, hoping to change hearts and minds. Fox 4's Ashley Paredes, live in Southlake at the Carroll School District headquarters with more. Ashley? Now, Carroll ISD held a rare special meeting that was on Friday. And since then, parents went before trustees to voice their concerns and demand action. That was following the recent racial slur video posted online by students. We have chosen not to show that video, but boys and girls can be heard singing the N-word. That was my first really realization that Southlake wasn't nice and wonderful for everybody. I think for many of us, right, you know, it was just things that weren't really talked about out loud. But after the video, people started talking about it. Students began coming forward with stories about harassment they'd experienced while at Carroll ISD schools. To its credit, the school district responded. They formed a district diversity council made up of 60 students, parents, and staff. Their mandate was to assess how the district could better serve its marginalized communities. The council created a cultural competence action plan, better known as CCAP. The plan proposed a couple of things. Diversity training for all students and teachers, a new process to report and track incidents of racist bullying, and changes to the code of conduct to hold students accountable for acts of discrimination. Jen thought CCAP had the potential to really help Southlake students, but not everyone agreed. And so it just became this thing in, in our community where people were, you had one side who were like, wait, no, we want all of our kids to feel safe and feel valued. And this other side saying, but our white kids are going to feel like they're bad. Because Southlake is a majority conservative town, many members of the Diversity Council were conservatives. Even so, some of the more conservative parents in the community were angry about CCAP. They argued it would create diversity police and amount to reverse racism against white children. It's worth reiterating that Black children were already facing real racism. That's why CCAP came to be in the first place. Regardless, the more conservative parents got organized. They formed Southlake Families PAC. The group funded a parent's civil lawsuit to block the proposed changes. They spent thousands of dollars funding conservative candidates and won a majority control over the local school board. The PAC also targeted Jen and other progressive parents in the town for supporting CCAP. There is a lot of accusations that the left was coming for our community and all, all of this. There, there was nobody coming. Like, we were not having meetings and talking about how to change Southlake or anything. It was just working with the school district. But once they said, wait, no, we've got to help and make sure all the kids are safe and they didn't fall in lockstep. Now they're a Marxist liberal. So Jen and other progressives formed a group of their own to stop the PAC's attempts to kill the diversity plan. It was called Dignity for All Texas Students. Originally, it was just a group of us getting together to talk about, okay, we're going to school board meetings, so I think we need to get other people. And then we decided that we needed to be more formal so that we could raise some money so that we could put out a message of what 
you know, what a diversity plan really is. It is not about making white kids feeling guilty for being white. Dignity for All Texas Students partnered with a student group, Southlake Anti-Racism Coalition. Together, they gathered testimonies from students and they organized people to protest outside school board meetings. We call them silent protests because we knew people would say things to us, but we didn't want to get into a back and forth with them, so you weren't supposed to speak. Protesters would hold signs that detailed kids' testimonies, and Jen and her group would also have people read them in the school board meetings. Just to remind them that there are kids that are being hurt. Ultimately, this is about the kids, and there's kids that are being hurt. Tensions only rose from there. Two Carroll ISD board members were arrested, including the former school board president, all because she sent a text message. She sent it to two school board members and said, these people seem to be confused about what CCAP is. I plan to do some a statement in the beginning to explain it. I gave their statement, do you have any suggestions? And then she took that and sent it to two more school board members. So they had her arrested now. Remember, this is not something that people get arrested for. The Southlake family pack claimed the school board violated open meeting laws to have secret deliberations about CCAP. A judge granted a temporary restraining order that prevented the district from going forward with the plan. Jen wanted things at her children's school district to change because that's what felt true to her faith. You know, Jesus talking about what we do for the least of these and what we, you know, loving our neighbor. And I couldn't look at that in the Bible and turn my back on the marginalized communities because I felt like that went against my, my faith. Jen wanted every kid to be supported and able to flourish just like her own. But instead, parents fought and Jen was harassed. I had my name sent out as a woke leftist fighting against Southlake values. So that was sent on Easter weekend to everybody. It made me kind of laugh because I was like, okay, I'm fighting against Southlake values, but I fed the homeless for a year. So is that the value that you, you want me to fight against? I mean, I went to Thailand on a mission trip with my church to teach English. Is that the value that you're fighting? I'm fighting against? Because I go in, I look at my Facebook and I'll look and see um, people that I've known since we moved here and they've unfriended me. And so I'm just like, it makes me laugh because I'm like, you know who I am. And, you know, somebody who I thought was a friend, um, put on the conservative Facebook group that I was a liberal you needed to block on Facebook. Um, and somebody showed it to me. So, I mean, I, I actually unfriended that person because I was like, you know what? You're not my friend if that's what you're saying about me. Jen's community turned against her, labeled her as someone to block on social media. Once, another kid at school told Jen's son that his mom was a bitch, all as a backlash to acknowledging racism because that could be CRT. We'll be right back. History can be shocking, intriguing, and complicated. But then why do history classes just focus on the boring basics? That's why a group of students created Untextbooked. This isn't just a podcast. This is a movement. Hear the histories young people want to tell and think everyone should know more about. In each episode... A young producer talks to a scholar about a topic they're curious about. They ask Ben Rhodes about the state of global democracy, Linda Greenhouse about the Supreme Court, and Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz about indigenous history in the United States. Untextbooked is back with new episodes every Thursday. 
Follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You look to South Lake, and that's really kind of where this national movement began. Sadly, I was just right down the road from it. That's Dr. James Whitfield. In 2020, he became the first black principal of Colleyville Heritage High School in the Grapevine Colleyville Independent School District. It turns out, Southlake is not the only town in Texas where debates over CRT are breaking out. It's not even the only suburb outside of Dallas Fort Worth. Colleyville Heritage High is just a 10 minute drive down the highway from Southlake. The majority of people who are now involved in this CRT debate before this even came up, couldn't have told you what critical race theory even was. A lot of the things that we're trying to talk about and really deal with and rap, grapple with, you know, disrupting some systems that have been in place for a long time that have not served all kids well. Well, now when we, when we start to have these honest conversations about those things, people just point and go, oh, nope, that's critical race theory. In the early days of Dr. Whitfield's career, he taught and coached basketball at Colleyville's biggest rival. And I remember going and playing at Colleyville Heritage back in the day, being an opposing coach, right? And our team was majority black boys. When we would go and sit on that bench, I remember timeouts, we would have to bring the chairs out into the, the center underneath uh, the basket because you couldn't hear a thing, not just because they were yelling, but, you know, oftentimes there were racial, you know, insults being hurled from the stands. Colleyville is very white and affluent. Only 1% of residents are black and the median household income is $150,000. And so we knew it was always a hostile environment anytime we would go there. I remember the bus ride over, you know, we were going from our neighborhood through all these multi-million dollar homes and then you end up over at, at Colleyville Heritage. Often told my wife, God has a sense of humor um, because you never would have been able to tell me, <laughs> the, the young coach back in the day, that I would ever be the principal at Colleyville Heritage. In the summer of 2020, before Dr. Whitfield's first school year officially began, he sent a letter to the school community in response to the murder of George Floyd. Dr. Whitfield wrote, Education is the key for stomping out ignorance, hate, and systemic racism. It's a necessary conduit to get liberty and justice for all. Some people in the community interpreted that sentence as a call to implement critical race theory in the school. And it was like, oh man, here it is. We're going to say that schools are teaching our kids to hate America. And they're teaching our kids to be ashamed of being white. And even you black folks there, they're teaching your kids they should be victims. And like we're sitting there going, this is nonsense. Um, but that's what they found in critical race theory or CRT in Texas was front and center leading the way. Parents in Colleyville started using essentially the same playbook as Southlake. But this time, a diversity action plan wasn't the threat. It was Dr. Whitfield. You started to see these Facebook groups pop up, particularly one Facebook group. It was like an echo chamber for this group of, this growing anti-CRT movement had been kind of 
copycatted from our next door neighbor, South Lake, and these folks were using the same language. And so as that started rolling up in that Facebook group, I started to see dozens of FOIA requests um, come in to the to the district with my name on them, you know, asking for things in my emails and my text messages and my social media communications with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion, racial equity. Um, they even put the words critical race theory in there to see if they could find anything on critical race theory. It all came to a head at a school board meeting on July 26, 2021, a year after Dr. Whitfield's letter. Okay, the GCSD Board of Trustees is back in open session at 631. Do we have anybody sign up for the open forum? Stetson Clark, a white man who'd go on to lose a bid to serve on the school board, accused Dr. Whitfield of promoting critical race theory. Tonight, I would like to express my concerns, not only of myself, but of many in our community, about the implementation of critical race theory in our district, specifically the views and goals of the principal of Colville Heritage High School, James Whitfield. To Stetson, the evidence was all there in the letter Dr. Whitfield sent to the school community back in 2020. I was first made aware of Mr. Whitfield's extreme views on race when a concerned friend of mine shared with me a letter he sent to parents and students in the summer of 2020. In this letter, he promotes the conspiracy theory of, cons- of systemic racism. Systemic racism is the belief that all institutions in the United States, from the federal government... A member of the school board asked Stetson that he not refer to specific employees by name. But in the three minutes Stetson was allowed on the podium, he mentioned Dr. Whitfield four times. The audience got involved, too. They called for Dr. Whitfield to lose his job. How about you fire that How about you fire that Stetson, closing out his statement, agreed with the crowd. Because of this extreme views, I ask that a full review of Mr. Whitfield's tenure in our district be examined and that his contract be terminated effective immediately. A few weeks later, Dr. Whitfield received a disciplinary letter from the district. Shortly after that, he was placed on administrative leave. The district claimed it was unrelated to the complaints, but provided no other explanation. Dr. Whitfield didn't believe the timing was a coincidence. The thing is, all this breath spent talking about CRT in meetings and claiming this is CRT, that is CRT, demonizing Dr. Whitfield, no one ever actually asked him how he felt about CRT. Until, at a school board meeting, two members of the local Moms for Liberty chapter approached him. Now, as I walked by, this lady said, Mr. Whitfield, and not that I'm really big on title, but, you know, most people in the community, they refer to me as Dr. Whitfield. But you see time and time again, this group of people, would they refuse to, to use that title when calling me by name. But I, I said, yes. She goes, well, what do you think about critical race theory? I was like, I don't know. What do you think about critical race theory? And I just kind of smiled and laughed it off and, and I kept walking. But he changed his mind and turned around. He realized that this was the first time someone had asked him his stance on CRT. By then, one of the women had wandered off. So he struck up a conversation with the Moms for Liberty member that remained. And she led the conversation by saying how grateful she was for my leadership at Colleyville Heritage, in particular with students 
with intellectual disabilities because I've been known to stop in the classroom with, and party with those kids, have dance parties. It's one of my favorite places in the building. And so she went on to tell her story about her brother and how he experienced bullying when he was in school and how she wished that you know, her brother had somebody like me as a principal when he was in school to stand up for him and make him feel welcome and all that. She goes, but, you know, I, I know we're on different sides, but I just want to say thank you for that. And I said, I think if you and I sat down for coffee, I think you would see that we're we're not on different sides. We have the same goals for kids. I don't know, maybe you've been led to believe something different about me. She just kind of cut me off. She said, no, I'm sure you're very charming and all, but... um. Basically, that'll never happen. To Dr. Whitfield, it was clear that this whole thing wasn't about him. It wasn't even really about what was in his letter. He had just become a scapegoat for conservative white parents who didn't want their kids to learn about systemic racism. I'm convenient for them to further their agenda. And this is an avenue. And that's why they haven't reached out. That's why they didn't email. That's why they didn't call. They didn't seek an appointment. Because, as the lady said, I'm sure you're charming and all, but we really don't want to have a conversation with you. It's not about a conversation or getting the truth. And so all they're looking for is something that fits the narrative to whoever they're trying to convince. But Dr. Whitfield wasn't without allies. The students of Colleyville Heritage High were behind him. The students walked out of Colleyville Heritage High School shortly before 11 o'clock on Friday morning. A rally in support of Principal James Whitfield, who is currently on paid leave. I was so proud of them because they immediately saw what was happening and they immediately started organizing to take action and, you know, not just stand up for me, but stand up for you know, other people, you know, in marginalized communities, specifically in their community, telling their stories, standing up and speaking in spaces where they were specifically told by members of the community, you don't have a right to talk, but still stepping up in that space and being the most eloquent people in the room. Ultimately, the student voices were ignored. Dr. Whitfield was too much of a lightning rod for the district and the superintendent gave formal notice that his contract would not be renewed. As a result, Dr. Whitfield was forced to resign. Not because he was bad at his job, but because he acknowledged the existence of racism in America. He's a casualty in this new battle over CRT. But he's not fading into the background. We sat silently for too long. We're not going to sit silently any longer and let them just stir up controversy. Because in the end, if we go back to it, and not enough people have talked about this, this is about kids. This is about all kids having access to a great education where they feel loved and welcomed and supported. And if we can't get back to that, then, then we're in really big trouble. And so that group, they'll say out of one side of their mouth that they, they want a place for all kids. But then if you listen long enough, they'll start telling you which kids really belong. In speaking with Neil, Don, and now Tiffany, I've heard the double-edged language Dr. Whitfield is describing. For instance, with Tiffany, she told me things like, We very much encourage parents to get involved and run for school board, all community members, actually. Much like the Gablers, she'd anchor her concern in education fundamentals. Yet as she continued on, 
her rhetoric quickly became more incendiary. It would be appalled. The idea that we are not teaching children how to read in America's public schools, I'll go back to the outcomes. If you were a surgeon and you operated on children and two thirds of the children that you operated on died on the operating table, would you be allowed to operate on children anymore? Would you still have a medical license? Now tell me why the K-12 cartel, America's teachers unions, still have a guiding hand in our children's education. Tiffany's ire against teachers unions reminded me a lot of my conversation with Neil. The Gablers didn't attack teachers. Even Don went on a very pro-teachers monologue when we saw him. He thinks of teachers as heroes. When I asked Tiffany what she thought the teachers union agenda was, she told me this. Oh, I think it's just to turn our children into social justice warriors. We see very directly a wedge being driven between the parent and the child. That's happening in many different ways. But most specifically, um, what we've seen is, is me, I talk to parents all the time whose children are being indoctrinated in school and being forced into gender transition without the consent or knowledge of the parents. It's a quick journey from increasing parental engagement and concern over literacy results to a conspiracy for political indoctrination and anti-trans language. As Sherry said at the top of the show, attacking teachers erodes the bedrock of trust in our public education system. The debate over CRT and this raging fear of teachers indoctrinating students is fueling that attack. It's also further marginalizing minority students and LGBTQ children, kids who already are on the margins. Pushing these kids at the margins is what has frustrated Jen Huff about the fight that's taken over her community in Southlake. Toward the end of our interview, it became clear to me that even if she shrugged off her town pariah status, the fight was really personal and important to her. It just is so sad that people don't have any empathy to their other humans. You know, it's like people think it's this pie that we have of, of rights and dignities. And um, and it's just like, you know, lovely, you know, moms will have their first kid and then they get pregnant with their second and they're like, I'm afraid they're not gonna be able to love the second. But rights and love, they're not finite, you know, they're infinite. I asked Tiffany what she has to say to people like Jen, folks on the other side of this debate, people who want to see diverse perspectives in schools, people who want to teach history, the good, and the bad. And with her answer, Tiffany actually introduced a new wrinkle in this whole education debate. So when we talk about different sides to things, I just want to be clear that we're talking about what sides they really are, right? So if you talk about the books, and some of these books are, are explicit in nature beyond anything that I could have ever possibly imagined I would speak about in an interview, incest, pedophilia, anal rape, horrible things being done to children or having children do to other people. When we talk about those things, we have moms who are concerned about their children being exposed to these things in school. And then what is the other side? The other side wants kids to be exposed to pornography in school. The books Tiffany is referring to are library books. Now, the Gablers never touched library books since they weren't state-mandated materials. But the modern era of the education debate is expanding. It's evolving to encompass not only what is taught in the classroom, 
but for parental control over the books that sit in the shelves of school libraries. And it's pushing up against this new boundary with a whole lot of force. Next week on Teaching Texas, the librarians and community members fighting against book bans. Um, am I allowed to say I was pissed off? (laughs) I was pissed off. Teaching Texas is a Wonder Media Network production. To get episodes early, make sure to subscribe to WMN Politics Plus on Apple Podcasts. If you can, please rate and review the show or share it with a friend to help our audience grow. Teaching Texas is created by me, Grace Lynch. It's produced by myself and Adesua Agbenile. Our editor is Lindsay Cradawill. Production assistance by Sarah Schleed. Jenny Kaplan is our executive producer. Original theme music by Chelsea Daniel. <laughs>